Good morning. Welcome, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. We've been in a uh, short mission series, kind of breaking up David, that we've been in for a while. And this is our third week in that. And so if you haven't been here, welcome. We're glad you're here. And I want to introduce you all, Todd Dennis. Would you give Todd a hand this morning? Todd is... um, Todd and his family are missionaries to Bosnia, so they work closely with Petula Myers, uh, who I'm sure most of you should be at least aware of. Um, and so, Todd, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce your family to us, and give us a little background of who you are? Sure. Thanks, Justin. Well, I'm an Indiana boy, grew up in northern Indiana, and went to Purdue University. Uh, yes. All right. <laughs> uh, when I went there, I got involved in a Christian Missionary Alliance church, which is uh, part of the domination that Eagle's a part of. And I really grew spiritually a lot during that time, really got connected with the church, ended up serving in the church in many ways in your role with the church for many, many years. Eventually went on staff as an associate pastor and met my wife during that time. And my wife, Karen, uh, I think there'll be a picture. picture should be. My wife, Karen, uh, and I met there and then started our family. We have a daughter, Bethany, who's now 12 years old, Joshua, who's 10, and Caitlin, who's 8 years old. And there's there the are. fam, kind of. There we go. Good-looking family. <laughs> and we were sent out from that church in, 10 years ago to go to Bosnia as missionaries. Yeah, so you've been in Bosnia for 10 years then. Can you talk a little bit about the background that, that led you uh, to that point? Sure. It uh, was a long journey. During my time at Purdue, I grew a lot spiritually. I'd become a Christian as a child, but really, really accelerated the growth during college years through the church and also through a campus ministry student group I was a part of, so just grew a lot in prayer and Bible study and sharing my faith. With all the international students at Purdue, I became more aware of different cultures and began friendships that way. And so just sharing with people of different cultures was a natural expression of growing as a Christian. It just seemed natural to me to tell them about Jesus, that they didn't have an opportunity here. My senior year, I took a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, which I know Eagle supports. And that pretty much sealed the deal for me. Yeah. At, by the end of that, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's where I, what I want to do. It's what I want to be a part of. Yeah. And some people have a sense that they have a calling to be a missionary. Mm. Maybe as a child, they hear they want to be a missionary. I never felt that calling or sense of God. I felt more compelled that after all that God had given me in terms of his heart for the nations in mm. prayer and experience with internationals and learning about how he works through history, I just felt, I want to go. I want to be faithful to all that he's invested in me. Yeah, I love the statement he made about a natural expression of following Jesus was reading God's word and obeying and praying and going, right? I think that's a great word for us. The natural expression of following Jesus is sharing about him and and engaging with the nations and faithful prayer. You said something about you were just praying and listening to the Lord and felt like the Lord was saying to do this. And so you did it, you know, just natural expression of following Jesus. That's what it is. So I got the opportunity to first go a couple years out of college to Bulgaria for a year Mm. as part of a team, tremendous experience working there in that part of the world. Came back, got a second degree. I was prepared to go full-time as a missionary right then. And in prayer, uh, I felt God said two things. He said, you're not going right now. You're going to go with a wife. And I wasn't married, wasn't dating. (laughs) Um, And you're also going to be sent off from the church. Mm. So that was in 95. Yeah. I didn't actually meet my wife, Karen, until six years later yeah. in 2001, and then we were sent out in 2009. So it was a 14-year period there between when I felt this is the next step before God opened up that door. 
And yet that time wasn't wasted. God used it to invest in me and my life and use me just to be faithful whatever he put before me at that time. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So Bosnia. Let's talk about Bosnia. Can you give us a little bit of an understanding of Bosnia, kind of its, its history, culture, religious makeup? What's, what's Bosnia look like? Sure. Bosnia has a long history, certainly longer than America. It formed as a kingdom back in the 1200s, 1300s, but then it was under Ottoman Turkish rule for 400 years, from the 1400s to 1800s. So that's when Islam kind of came into the area, and many people converted to Islam in, in that region during that time. It's also in the divide kind of between east and west. So to the north and west of them are Catholics, and to the south and east of them are Orthodox. Hmm. And they were under different rule from different areas, Austro-Hungarian Empire for a while. So they have this mix of these three different religions. They have about half the population is Muslim, about a third is Orthodox, and the remaining is primarily Catholic. So you have this mix of people groups, even though ethnically they're all Slavic, they're all yeah. the same, but they have this different identity. And so that's what made the war that happened there in the 90s so intense with these three different groups. Yeah. And so one of the things I feel kind of a unique burden about is elevating uh, more of an education, informing, I guess, and bringing people along in this idea that there are unreached people in the world. This is a reality. They have never heard the name of Jesus. The gospel isn't translated into their language. Uh, no access to the gospel type of stuff. Can you just talk a little bit about how that reality in the world pertains to Bosnia and what you guys are doing about it? Right. You might also know that Bosnia was part of Yugoslavia for many years following World War II, so it brought in this communist atheist element. And so today, even though most people identify with their religion, in practice, it's really watered down. They're kind of mm -hmm. like Christians who just go to church on Christmas and Easter. Yeah. That's the, the bulk of the people there. They'll practice the religion, their traditions, but they don't open up the holy books or practice anything from day to day. So it's a pretty watered down yeah. uh, expression. So they've heard of Jesus, most of them, through their faith, but they really have no understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, they certainly have no concept that they can have a personal relationship with the living God. Mm. And so we as a team... We're there to demonstrate that in, in our expression of our faith, in our partnership with local believers, to encourage them and challenge them and help them to reach out to their community. That's good. So I believe that places like Bosnia, um, one thing that's, that's unique about it, you said something about, about 700. Is that, is that true? Yeah, there's only about 700 believers in the whole country of three and a half to four million. So all the believers in the country... It's about the size of Eagle or smaller than Eagle Church yeah. if we put them all together. So there's a tremendous need. Most of the churches there are only about 10 to 50 people yeah. when they get together for a, a service. Yeah, we could fit. I think this room holds 2,200 people, something like that. So we could more than double their, their – and there's some math involved that I'm not going to try. But, um, <laughs> but so I believe places like this are places we're supposed to go. Like, uh, there, there are places where it's easy and there are places where it's hard. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we're called to go to these type of places. So could you just give a word to us, whether it's going across the street or going to the nations? What's a word of encouragement as we try to engage uh, in these difficult places? Yeah, we, we call it a difficult place, and certainly it is. We face a lot of challenges, adjustment to a new culture, new language, all kinds of things. But in some ways, it's actually easier mm -hmm. to share our faith there because we just step out our door, and 99% of people around us don't know Christ. Yeah. And so any relationship we build can be a bridge to sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, but I find being back here now for a year, it's a lot harder because we're connected with church. Most of our friends are in the church. Our kids are going to a Christian school. Mm -hmm. I, I travel regularly and speak at churches. That kind of 
my whole life is encompassed around the church, that we have to make a deliberate effort to engage with non-believers. Yeah. They're certainly around us in our, our culture that is increasingly non-churched mm -hmm. and in other people who are coming from other cultures you know, into our area. But it requires a deliberate effort to find a way to engage people that don't know Christ. You know, outside of church functions, get involved in some other activity in the community, uh, do things with, like, often naturally through our kids and their activities in the community, mm -hmm. engaging people that way. That's, that's the open doors that we have because otherwise we can consume in a kind of Christian subculture. Yeah, totally. And I love, again, the natural expression, right? It's a natural expression of following Jesus is sharing about him mm -hmm. and, and pursuing people, right, that don't know him. So could you just uh, give us a little bit of uh, insight to how we can, from here in, you know, north or central Indiana, I guess where we're at, um, engage with you in Bosnia, and how can we partner better and support you all? Sure. First, I want to thank you for your partnerships with Petula and through her with our team. That's been tremendous su support of us. I'd say the primary thing, the most essential, is in prayer. We mm -hmm. face a lot of spiritual opposition, and there's a lot of witnessing going out with our team and other mission groups, but we don't see a lot of fruit. And I, I strongly believe that it's because the enemy is really blinding people's eyes. So mm. it's as you pray and join us in prayer that we see changes take place. Uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, the most important, certainly your giving, your support, financially enables us to carry on our mission there, and that's a great benefit. One, one example for prayer you asked me to mm. share, there was a pastor in the local church, and they faced lots of opposition too, the local believers, mm -hmm. that Petchel actually worked with this pastor, and he had a brain tumor. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor, was affecting his health. Mm -hmm. He needed to get surgery he, that couldn't be done in Bosnia. They have a public health care system, and either the doctors couldn't perform the surgery or he'd have to wait like a year before he could get scheduled in to have it done. Mm -hmm. But there was a private doctor in Serbia that, that could do the surgery, but there was no way he could afford that medical yeah. treatment. So we were able to raise the funds through donors like yourselves for him to go to Serbia, Serbia to get the surgery done. He showed up there, was preparing for surgery. They did one last scan to make sure they got the dimensions of the tumor correctly, and the tumor was gone. Mm. It, it completely vanished. And I know people here were praying. I'm sure Petula got you praying, and we had people praying, and yeah. God answered prayer, and he's thriving. He's still leading the church, and that church is reaching out to other communities. So prayer is definitely essential. Amen. That's a great story, huh? And I also invite you to come. Come, yeah. check us out. Come join us. Uh, we have teams coming on a regular basis. It's a tremendous encouragement to us as a team to have people on site with us. It'll be a blessing to us, and I guarantee it will really open up and challenge your faith to see God move, to engage the uh, local believers hear their stories, how they're faithful in the midst of their situations, and just allow God by his Holy Spirit to stretch you and use you in ways you never thought possible. Uh, come and see what Bosnia is like, and it will be impactful for both you and our ministry. Yeah, that's great. In June 2020, in case you're wondering, June 2020, Bosnia. So love to have you think about that and start praying about that, and we're going to be putting some more details together and communicating that in the coming weeks and months. So would you guys stand up? We're just going to pray over Todd. And uh, let's stretch our hands out, just sign a blessing over him. So, Lord, this morning we lift up Todd and Karen and their family. We lift up uh, the nation of Bosnia to you. Lord, you have seen these people since you created the earth. You know each one of them. You've ordained uh, 
the, the, the Denises and Petula and other workers, or you've ordained this time for them to interact with these people. You've brought us into relationship for this time. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would move in that place, that you would move in that nation, that you would open doors, that you would soften hearts. Jesus, we want to see an outbreak of you in that country, and so we just ask that you would lead us and guide us to that end. Pray protection over the Denius family as they're on home assignment. It'll be a, a blessed time. It'll be a time of, of recovery and restoration that you would be making all things new in their lives in every way. And uh, we're so grateful that we get to be in partner with, partnership with them and with this nation, and we expect to see you move. We can't wait to see it happen. We believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give Todd a hand. You guys can have a seat. Well, I was uh, out on a walk with my wife, Jana, uh, this week or last week or something. I don't know. And uh, I said something like, I love like preparing for a message. My favorite part about prepping for the message is like I, feel like, I feel like I get more out of it than anybody else does. To which she said, yeah, you're probably right. So, <laughs> so here we go. Now. <laughs> So there's a scene recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is uh, coming into Jerusalem. And this is the scene that sets up Passion Week. It's called the Triumphal Entry. And I've always wondered why he chose a donkey and not at least a chariot with rims, you know. Like, he could have been a little flashier, a little more victorious. But he'd been doing ministry for three years now. Goes into Jerusalem. And uh, this is one of the first scenes that happens when he gets into Jerusalem. So let's jump right into it. Mark 11 starting in verse 15, says this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So I remember when I was a kid, my dad would try to teach us all uh, scripture verses. We'd try to memorize them. He'd use this little trick. We thought it was funny. It was kind of goofy, but where he would emphasize certain parts of the verse, and we'd have to say it back how he did. Remember doing that? And so we're going to do this as a group, so just kind of go there with me, all right? Um, We're going to try this. This will be our practice verse. Repeat after me how I do it with the emphasis, all right? For God... So loved the world. Or how about this way? For God so loved the world. Or how about this one? For God so loved the world. Yeah. Yeah, so you put emphasis on different spots, and it's a good memory mechanism, right? You remember it that way. But it also, it also elevates different truths that are packaged within that verse. And so we're going to use this approach throughout the morning. So just let's do some call and response here. It's going to be good. Repeat after me. My house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. Go ahead. My house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called. So a few weeks ago, Jan and I, we moved to Lebanon. We bought a new house. And uh, Titus Donuts and Ice Cream Paradise have quickly become a threat to my well-being. Um, but... <laughs> We bought a new house, and if you walked into our house with muddy shoes and were about to step on the carpet, Jana would hit you like a linebacker, right? Don't mess up the carpet. We, uh, it's our house. It's her house. I'd like to think it's mine. It's her house. 
And she has authority about what the values are, right? We like clean carpet. You're welcome to come over. Just take your shoes off. Um, But Jesus said, my house will be called. He made a statement about who he is and his authority. That that, uh, quote that he made there is referencing Isaiah 56. And by referencing that, he's actually implying that he's the originator of that prophecy. He is God. It's his house. Because it's his house, he has authority. He makes it really clear what the focus and the function of his house should be. And for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, the house of God has moved from a physical location, a physical temple to our hearts. And if our hearts are his house, he has authority. So what's the primary function that he says here? All right, repeat this after me. Come on, let's do it. My house will be called a house of prayer. Yeah, the house of prayer. This should be the central function of the house of God, both individually and collectively as a community. Why is that? Let's look at Ephesians 6. Paul has something to say about this. Starting in verse 12, it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so the physical things in the world, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms. Verse 18 says, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Pastor John Piper, he coined this little rhyme that goes like this Unless you believe that life is war, you will not know what prayer is for. Unless you believe that life is war, you will not know. What prayer is for. And prayer is the primary work of God's people because life is war. There's no neutral ground. You're either taking ground or you are giving up ground. And I believe that we're constantly on the front lines of this, and sometimes we maybe don't even realize it. I think evidence of this real spiritual battle, it shows up when we're constantly pulled toward maybe immediate gratification and entertainment. It's this constant battle with the flesh that we feel or it shows up in our relationship with the Jesus when when we approach him for like like personal improvement, self-improvement, rather than looking at his word, obeying it, following his example. It shows up when societal and cultural norms influence and shape how we think and live more than God's word. It shows up when we come to church and we're distracted by expectations and preferences about things that have nothing to do with the glory of God. These are all tactics and assaults that I believe the enemy uses to distract us from him and his purposes. I think we've got to wake up to that reality. Well, back in the day, my grandparents, uh, we call them Mima and Papa. Here's a picture of them. Papa is like a real man. Um, They sold everything. They bought this little plot of heaven in Jennings County, Indiana. And um, they sold everything to start a Christian camp called Zion Lake. And Papa was a a very successful architect, in fact, and they left all that behind to go start this camp when when Jesus asked them to do that. And they they lived kind of the rest of their time there, very much in financial uh, strain, you know, and just trusted the Lord. Papa was a preacher in their tiny little country church, and I remember they had a two-story house, and I remember as a kid I would sit up on the bed, and I could look out the window down to the right, and I saw his trailer outside, which was his office. And every, every night we were up there, I saw Papa in the trailer with the lights on. 
just studying God's word. And man, he's, he and Meemaw, they just were a giant in my life. But they had their priority on one thing. is Jesus. Nothing else. Knowing him, helping others know him. Jesus was the center of their life. And Papa today, he's part of the great cloud of witnesses in heaven. And my Meemaw, she loves Jesus more every day than she did the day before. And every time I talk to her, she, she can't help but talk about Jesus. And like usual, I, I was talking to her a couple weeks ago, and she was talking about uh, how amazing Jesus is. And she said something like how sad she was that she feels like people don't feel the same way that she does about him in the church specifically. And she said, I feel like there's a spiritual lull over our nation in this church. And she said, we need to pray for revival. And she said, that's what she prays for every day. Meemaw is an example of being at the front lines of this spiritual war called life. This is running to the battle. This is being on the front lines. And in church, Satan is real. He's a real enemy. And there's a real war that is raging right now. And the enemy wants us to be in a lull, to not be aware of that, to not be engaged in that. But I'm here to tell you there is one weapon that Satan cannot come against. And that's prayer that is rooted in the matchless name of Jesus. And we've got to wake up to that. Church, we take ground through prayer. We lose ground through apathy. If we want to see a revival, a move of God here and in the nations, we have to be praying. But unless you believe that life is war, you will not know what prayer is for. All right, repeat after me. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So what's the focus of prayer? It's the nations. The focus of the house of God should be praying for the nations. These three words, for the nations, they capture the laser focus of God, that he would be glorified in all nations. And a quick skip through Scripture, it's easy to see. This is the clear overarching theme of Scripture, and it's the clear overarching mission of God. And I'm, I'm going to blaze through some references here. They're in your notes if you want to go back and read them yourself. Genesis 12 God made a covenant with Abraham where his purpose was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Deuteronomy 4, the Israelites were commanded to observe the laws so the nations would see that Yahweh is the one true God. Psalm 67 is where David asked for God to uh, shine his face on them so that God's ways could be known in all the earth. John 3.16, we all know and love that one, tells us that God so loved what? The world that he gave his only son to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. Matthew 28, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. Paul's prayer in Romans 12, 21, that all people who have not heard would know the name of Jesus. And we get to the very end of scripture and see a picture of the end game. And I'm going to read this one because it's maybe my favorite scene in all of scripture. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9, says this. After I looked... There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. That's a vision. That's a picture of heaven. It's happening right now. Church, God's heart has always been for the nations, for all people from every bustling city to every quiet suburb to every remote village, all people everywhere gathered around the throne glorifying God. That's his mission. The war is for these people, for their souls. It's God's mission, and it's got to be our mission as his people. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Remember what Jesus did before he made that statement? He goes into the temple, and he's flipping tables and driving out merchants and all that. How many of you have been to a farmer's market? Anybody? Maybe it's the Zionsville one. Place yourself there. If you've been to the Zionsville one, they've got those, uh, Patrick's is selling those amazing, amazing breakfast burritos. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they've got that green salsa you put on them. Oh, man. Um, you you want to get like a donuts. You want to get the fresh flowers, the fresh jam, the whatever it is, right? There's an inordinate, at least in Zionsville, an inordinate amount of dogs that are sniffing and licking you in um, you, you walk around and you see people that, I, th- I imagine this conversation going through people's minds, like, I'm going to pick an outfit this morning uh, that people will look at me and say they're not trying. Has anybody else done that, ironic? I think it's true. I think it's a real thing. Anyways, all the while, Iambic, which is a three-piece band, band made up of our own Ian Black, Molly Zimmerman, and Bryce Langbarles, they're soothing the crowd with acoustic renditions of all your favorite radio hits. But, so imagine, though, I come in there and put the place on blast, right? I go in, I'm knocking down the tents, flipping the tables, I kick all the dogs because I'm not really a pet person, I'm losing friends right now, I know it, stuff my pockets with burritos, I flip Ian's keyboard over, push Bryce off the stool, swat the mic out of Molly's hand, right? That's what I imagine it looked like, it's ridiculous, right? Why? Why did he do all that? It's because the temple was supposed to be a place where people encountered the glory of God, not a marketplace. It was supposed to be a place where God's presence was the treasure. This outer court in the temple where the marketplace was set up, this is the place where the Gentiles would come. This was the only place they were allowed to be. Gentiles are people who weren't Jews. It was the nations. This is where they came. Instead, it became a place where the people of God prioritized earthly things instead of the glory of God. It became a place where where poor people were taken advantage of and where the nations were pushed out. It became a place where the people of God had lost ground in the spiritual war and were fixated on this life alone. Jesus was enraged by this because anything, anything that doesn't have to do with God's glory and the nations must be overturned. It must be overturned. I just want to ask, is there anything in your life that maybe needs to be overturned? Anything in your life that is not about the glory of God. I believe as a church community, we have to ask the same things. Is there anything here that we've made more of a priority than seeing Jesus glorified in the nations? What we got to have us do. Bryce, you can come on up wherever you're at. So don't worry, I'm not going to sing the rest of the message. I'm going to do something here, though. Just roll with me. 
Um, I like to spend a lot of time with my guitars and pedals and fun things like that. Jana gets real annoyed because she says I play the same thing over and over. I just call it honing my craft. But anyways, this is Bryce. This is my big brother, Bryce, if none of y'all knew that. Um, uh, what should they know about you? Bryce, uh, Bryce and I, we both married women named Jana, which is kind of weird. But I didn't know one until I met mine, and then you married one. Um, what, what else? You've got uh, five kids. Bryce, a firefighter. He saves lives for a living. No big deal. Uh, he's a chicken farmer. Just had their first slaughter of chickens this week, and he did it himself. Yeah. yeah. Not only does he save lives, he's more of a man than I am. But, and I heard one of the chickens didn't go very easily. But anyways, anyways, anyways. So recently, I was tuning my guitar. I was sitting in my room, or uh, just playing, playing my guitar and um, tuning it. And I felt like the Lord said, just this simple question, what's your life tuned to? Is it tuned to yourself or is it tuned to my word? So I'm going to kind of show you, kind of, how to tune a guitar. So you can actually tune a guitar to itself. So that sounds all right, right? Sounds fairly in tune, right? When my kids do this, I lose my mind, by the way. That doesn't sound good, right? And if you, if you think it sounds fine, you probably shouldn't be a musician. Um, okay? So when you tune an instrument, you have to tune it to something. You have to have something to tune it to. And in this case, I can actually tune it to myself. Do you hear that? So we're, we're going from out of tune to in tune. So I can tune it to itself. And we're back in business, right? The catch is, in order for me to play with Bryce, to make music with Bryce or with a group, we have to have the same standard tuning. And typically, it's something that's called A440. So 440 hertz is where the A is, doesn't matter. That's what it is. And so, if I want to play with a group, I have to be tuned to A440. So Bryce, will you play an E for me? You hear that? Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds really good. Now what if I do this? Keep on going. Right? We're making music, aren't we? Yeah. So it doesn't work, right? You hear the dissonance between the two. And so I want you to think about our lives as the notes coming off the guitar. Think about 440. A440 is God's word. Are you happily tuned to yourself where your life is comfortable? But maybe it's not. 440. Maybe it's not working. We call that sound dissonance. And dissonance indicates distance. It's, it's when there's incorrect distance between two notes. And when that happens, dissonance leads to dysfunction. Is there a dissonance in your life that you don't know how to shake? Maybe you've got all you need, got money in the bank, climbing the corporate ladder, kids are doing fine, but something's restless in your soul. Maybe it's dissonance. Maybe it's a, a dissonance placed there by the Holy Spirit to say something's off. And maybe today the Spirit would ask you, is your life tuned to yourself or is it tuned to God's Word, tuned to His Word? And I think we can consider this analogy also as a community, right? If you're tuned to 440, 
and I'm tuned to myself, what's going to happen? We're not going to be working together, moving in the same direction, right? Jesus prayed for something called spiritual unity in John 17. And the purpose of it, he's praying for his followers, is so that the nations would know that he came from the Father. It's to bring God glory. So unity in this place, being tuned to the same thing, propels a movement of God. I believe that's the recipe of a move of God here that we need to see. When we come under the authority of God's word, when we tune up to that and start moving in that direction. Give me an E. I think this is what we need to do. I think this morning, church, I think God is calling us to a great retuning. I think he would call us to a retuning to his words, to his priorities in the nations, a retuning that has us captivated, enamored with Jesus, that he would be the center of our lives. A retuning that I think starts with repentance for allowing anything else to be the focus of our lives. And I just imagine what a community of ordinary people like you and me could look like. I think of people like Carl Ralston from week one, an insurance salesman from Ohio. Or I think of Todd Denius this morning, a business student at Purdue. I think of Danny Marquez, a street kid from the Bronx. Their lives got in tuned with God's word and his purposes. Changes everything. I believe we'd see neighborhoods and nations transformed. Is that something you desire? Is that a burning passion in your life today to see Jesus glorified? My house will be called. Jesus has authority. He made it clear what, what our role, our focus, our function should be. It'll be called a house of prayer. Prayer is the primary work of God's people because life is war. And if you don't believe that life is war, you won't know what prayer is for. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's focus has always been the nations. And as his people, we have to be in tune with that. Anything else needs to be overtuned. Worship team, you guys can come on up. To close, I want to direct you guys to these engage cards that were on your seat when you came in. And if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, we've been using these to kind of help us uh, pray for our partnerships. We've got some strategic partners that we work with. And this morning, we're going to do it a little differently. A few weeks back, I sent out a survey in the Friday email about missions and missions engagement. So a lot of you guys responded to that. Thanks for doing that. Um, there were several kind of themes that came up. A couple of them, though, that kind of helped me think through this series had to do with uh, two things specifically. First, I heard from several people in that survey that they felt unqualified to engage in missions. And I wasn't surprised by that because I've had that interaction with a lot of you all personally. And I want to address that on the front end of setting this up, that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if the Spirit of God is in you, you are qualified. Scripture says you have all you need 
for life and godliness. You are equipped and qualified through the word of God, through the spirit of God. And so I, I, I want to call it what it is. I think it's a lie from the enemy. And if you have that reasoning for not getting involved, I want you to, to pause and consider what's behind that. So that was one of the themes. The second one was a lack of clarity around specific opportunities to get involved. So that's where this comes in. So one idea that kind of came up was that we would have specific ways for people to be involved. So on the back of the card, it looks different this week. It has little check boxes with specific ways that you can get involved with each partnership. What I want you to consider as the worship team leads us in another song is, is there a role on here? Is there an opportunity that God might have you step into? And just look through them. And in the bottom right of the card, there's a blank box that says comments. Are you involved elsewhere? What is God saying to you? I'd love to have any comments about maybe a decision that you make. Uh, are you involved elsewhere? If you're involved in missions anywhere outside of our partnerships, I'd love to know. I'm just trying to get a read and get a pulse on what people's engagement with missions is here. That'd be really helpful. And then finally, what's God saying to you? Has God said anything to you over these few weeks in this series? And so during this next song, I want to ask you to do two things. First, ask the Lord, what's my life tuned to? What's my life tuned to? And if the Lord speaks something to you, just talk to him about that. I would start there. Are there things that need to be overturned? Second, is there an opportunity to get involved somewhere, to take a step, to just move, make one step? And I would encourage you to mark a box, put your name and email on it, drop it in the offering when that comes around after this song. And then I'll, be, I'll actually personally follow up with, with each one of you. And if not today, if you want to take it home, do what we've done the last couple weeks. Throw it on the mirror, put it on your dashboard, wherever. And just look through the opportunities, pray through them, and just see what the Lord might lead you to. So as the team leads, spend time with the Lord. Do you need to retune today? Where is he leading you? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we just declare that you are the center of it all. That you are our treasure. You are the prize. Would you open our eyes to see how great and glorious you are this morning? And as we capture a better and clearer vision of who you are, I pray that it would propel us to the nations. I pray that it would propel us even now to our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates, to our family members. That when we capture who you are, we become enamored with you, Jesus. And we couldn't help. It would be a natural expression of a relationship with you that we'd have to share. And so right now, Lord, we say we submit to your word, to what you want to do. Would you speak? Would you be honored in our worship and praise this morning? We pray in Jesus' name.